Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful. We are praising you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hosanna in the highest, because you are so awesome. And you have proven that through the gift of Jesus. Amen. Speak to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So the 70 years of Babylonian captivity were over. And God had used a pagan king to set his people free and return them back home. And upon returning home, there was one thing in the minds of the Jews. It's time to rebuild the temple. You know, the temple was uh, the center of their worship, the center of their culture. It was the most important building in, 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 in the whole land. They had, and, of course, it had been destroyed 70 years before by the Babylonians. So now they go back home, and it's time to get to work. And the book of Ezra, and the book of Nehemiah, and Haggai speak in detail of the challenges that the Jews faced in this process of rebuilding. But it was also through the ministry of uh, the prophet Zechariah that God, that the, 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 the building was restored and completed in the year 516 B.C. God gives Zechariah a series of visions. In fact, there's a series of eight different visions recorded in chapters 1 through 6 of the book of Zechariah that present a connected prophetic narrative setting forth the purpose of God for the Jews upon the return from Babylonian captivity and culminating with the coming of the Messiah and the establishment of his kingdom. Zechariah is giving a series of visions in a time of great discouragement when it seemed that, that the enemies of God people were going to be successful in putting a stop on the process of rebuilding. These messages were designed to encourage the return exiles and to inspire them to continue forward in their appointed task. But there was opposition. And one could argue that the opposition, that the problems that the Jews were going through was their own fault. I mean, you would have, you would have thought that they would have learned their lesson from before the Babylonian captivity. Yeah? But here we go, they go back to their old ways. And we read in the book of Ezra... Uh, of the fact that some of the leaders were living in open sin. And one of the chief problems was intermarriage with, um, with non-Jews. Yeah, in fact, even the, some of the priests and Levites were guilty of this. And, and, and it had been this very thing that had led to the apostasy that caused them to go to the Babylonian captivity in the first place. Amen. So here we go again. But this is the context against which Zechariah writes and against which God presents one of the greatest and clearest pictures of grace. So open with me to the book of Zechariah. In the Old Testament, it's the second to the last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah, chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 1. Zechariah, chapter 3, and verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. So here we have where we're introduced to Joshua. Of course, this is not the same Joshua 
from, uh, you know, that led the Israelites to Canaan. This is a different Joshua, a high priest after the exile, and there he is before God. Now, of course, as priest, the job of the priest is to intercede, right? To intercede between God and his people. So Joshua here is a representative of the Jewish people. Standing before God as mediator, asking God for mercy, asking God perhaps to intervene in in, in what they're going through, the opposition, the challenges that they're going through. So Joshua, as representatives of his people, was interceding on on their behalf. But now, it is clear that Joshua's not the only character in the story. He's not the only one in that room besides him and the angel of the Lord. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of a spiritual license here this morning because I like to imagine the story as if I'm there listening to it, okay? Because he's not the only one in the room. As Joshua finishes speaking here, as Joshua finishes interceding on behalf of his people, there's a laugh that is heard. (laughs) You really have some nerve, Joshua. How dare you stand here before God asking for mercy? And maybe he turns to God and says, do you believe this guy? It's an interesting picture. The word hasatan in the Hebrew, which means adversary or the accuser of our brethren, is standing at Joshua's right side. Stands at the right side as a, as a prosecutor or as a witness uh, at the right side of the prisoner. In fact, this word oppose is actually better translated as to accuse. In other words, in other words it isn't so much that, that, that Hasatan is opposing him, standing in his way. No, he is accusing him and his people. Satan stood close by to oppose and to thwart his endeavors by bringing against Joshua and his people the charge of sinfulness. And he pointed to the transgressions of Israel as a reason why they should not be restored to the covenant relationship with God, to divine favor. They did not deserve this. But but Satan also is bringing up all those things that are against Joshua himself. How dare you ask for mercy, Joshua? You don't deserve that. God, let me tell you what this guy did. As if God doesn't know, right? Maybe you don't know half the story, God. This is one of the priests that married somebody that's not a Jew. You told him not to do that, didn't you? He is representing your people. Come on. But, but God, you don't know half the story. He is, he is harboring bad thoughts in his mind. He has anger against his brother. The other day he cursed at his neighbor who let the dog in his yard. Huh? He's setting a bad example, Lord. I know you're not going to listen to him. I know you're not going to have mercy on him, are you? He turns to Joshua and says, <laughs> you're done now. And if this was a court of law, Satan would have all the evidence. He could have just said after that, I rest my case, Your Honor. Mm -hmm. Well, Joshua was a representative of the Jews in a greater way. He also represents you and me. Did you know that you are a priest as well? You don't believe me? 1 Peter 2.9, who Peter quotes from actually from Exodus 19, 
But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. So, so you are a priest too. So in essence, Jew are Joshua. And we are to represent God and, and, and how often we are asking for mercy. Maybe we are interceding on behalf of others, but we're also asking God to have mercy on us because of what we are doing or what we've been through. And yet the evidence is against us. The evidence is against us. Satan will speak. Oh, he's a glutton. He's been saying, he's been watching things he shouldn't be watching, Lord. Uh, here's the evidence, Your Honor. Here's all the filth. I rest my case, Your Honor. And Satan would be right, wouldn't he? He would be right. And he was right with Joshua. But notice how, how God responds in verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a, a brand plucked from the fire? The Lord rebuke you. Here, here, here God speaks from a position of authority. Amen. A position of authority. And again, using a little bit of spiritual license, I imagine God saying, Satan, you better be quiet. You better hush up, Satan. Maybe you can choose a different word. You have no authority here. How dare you bring an accusation against him? You're the one behind it in the first place. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? In other words, have I, have not I already rescued him? I rescued him and his people, and you want me to put him back? How dare you? Hush up. You better be quiet. Now, again, Satan was right. The reason that Joshua had filthy garments was because of his own fault. Notice, verse 3, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. The reason Joshua was dirty was because he did it himself. It was his fault. Joshua, uh, uh, Satan was right. He did all those things that Satan had accused him of. And as a priest, Joshua should have never presented himself with filthy garments before the Lord because the garments represented the holiness of God. Amen. So there he is, filthy, his own fault. But God doesn't reject him, now does he? It, God, God looks at him with compassion and pity. And, and it just speaks volumes of who God is. Because think about it, if, if Joshua is representing us, then our filth is our fault. Those accusations that Satan presented, all oh, he's this, he's done that. He is absolutely right. I did all those things. And God could simply have said, well, you, it's your fault. You better be figure out how you're going to cleanse yourself. <laughs> but notice verse 4. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Amen. Now Christ loathed the filthiness of Joshua's garments, but he didn't put them away. Right. He didn't reject him. And there are th two things here that, that are done for Joshua that re represents a double work of divine grace that God bestows upon you and me. The first is his filthy garments are taken from him, and then he is clothed anew. Amen. 
That has not only the shame of his filthiness been removed, but he, his nakedness has been covered. See, in the work of salvation, it is God who does the heavy work. In the work of salvation, it is God who does everything. Notice he said, I have removed your iniquity. I will clothe you. He didn't say, listen, you figure it out, Joshua. I don't like those dirty clothes, so you better figure out how you're going to cleanse yourself. You better figure out how you're going to clothe anew, and then I will accept you. No, no, God steps in first. He takes the initiative, even though this was Joshua's fault. I will do this for you. And thus God does by his grace to all those who are priests for himself or to himself. He parts between them and their sins and, and so prevents their sins from parting between them and their God. He reconciles himself to the sinner and he takes the first step. He goes on further in verse 5. Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. The placing of this clean turban upon Joshua signified that that his transgressions had been pardoned, and that now he was qualified again to serve as priests. Priests and people were restored to divine favor. God takes the first step. And friends, this is what grace is all about. This is grace. Even though it was your fault, even though it was my fault, even though I got myself in this situation, God takes the first step to reconcile himself with us, and he does the cleansing. He does the heavy work. But now, now that God had cleansed Joshua, now that God had taken away his filthy clothes and clothed anew, did Joshua have a responsibility? Notice verses 6 and 7. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you walk in my ways, and if you keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk among these who stand here. So notice God admonished Joshua, warned him that just because he had been cleansed, just because God had taken the first step, that didn't mean he could go back to the old ways that that got him filthy in the first place. He uses a classic if and then argument. If this happens, then this will be the result. And so notice again, God could have said to Joshua, you figure this out, but no, he takes the first step. God, God could have sent to Joshua, listen to me, you better start walking in my ways first and keeping my commands, and I'll see what I can do for you. No, because God does it first. He takes the first step. He cleanses him. He forgives him. But the response is now what do you, should do? What do, you do after that? And while the cleansing was not the responsibility of Joshua, because God did it, Remaining clean was Joshua's responsibility. And he would remain clean by what? By walking in God's ways and keeping his commands. A strange place for grace is the title of the message. A strange place because it's found in the Old Testament where most Christians believe that somehow you were saved by works and in the New Testament you're saved by grace. But friends, salvation from day one, from Genesis through Revelation, has always been by grace. 
It is only by grace. The Old Testament people looked forward to the coming of Jesus, the Lamb of God. You and I look back, but it was always by grace because it's undeserved. The forgiveness and cleansing that Joshua experienced was made possible by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, of course, the Lamb of God is Jesus. Jesus died in our place, thus paying our debt. Thus we are forgiven and cleansed. And the experience of Joshua can be your experience as well. And once you experience that, once you receive the grace, as a response of love, you ought to walk in the ways of God and keep his commands. And that is a complete picture of grace. Again, that grace is possible because God had a plan. He had a plan from day one, and that plan consisted in his greatest evidence of love, and that is through Jesus and his sacrifice. And and today, once again, we celebrate our communion service, a reminder of that sacrifice. And so we will do that now. We will separate for our foot washing, just a a few instructions. we have three different rooms for our foot washing. Now, if you're not familiar with foot washing, we do this because Jesus commands us in John chapter 13 that we ought to do as he did. And so uh, we will separate now. The ladies will be in the fellowship hall, which is to my, uh, my left and your right. The gentlemen will be across here in the primary room, and couples will be in the cradle room here at the end of the hall. Now, while we are doing the foot washing, the children can stay in here because we will have a children's story for them. Now, you will notice in the last two years, because of COVID and everything, we have been doing the communion service with our Ziploc bags, but we're going back to the old ways today. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. I'm happy for that. But when you come in, you will notice that at the end of the pews are these white dots, these stickers you see at the end of the pews on, on, the, on, the, on the arms of the, of the pews. When you come back from your foot washing, we would ask you to sit on the pews that have the white dot on them, okay? Because that way it'll be easy for the deacons to go by and serve you the bread and the wine, all right? So let us all stand as we, as we pray. Father God, the, the, the reality is, Lord, at, at times we just don't fully comprehend your love for us. We don't comprehend grace because, you know, in our finite sinful ways, Lord, we always do something with the intention of receiving something back. But grace is that undeserved favor that in spite of our sin, where we deserve death because of that, you give us life. Amen. We don't deserve life. We don't deserve eternal life, but that's what you give us. And we thank you that you take the first step in cleansing us, Father. We pray that through the power that you already offered us through your spirit, that we will walk in your ways and keep your command, not, not because we gain any favor, because the favor has already been done because you took the first step. But because that's the way we respond to you, that's the way we will show you how much we love you and appreciate what you have done for us. So we thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to take part of communion service as we separate for our foot washing, a symbol of cleansing, a symbol of humility. May indeed we meditate on your great love. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.